2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll read verses 9 to 11 to start with tonight. Paul says there, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. And let's bow our heads together and ask the Lord to bless our lesson. Heavenly Father, I thank you simply tonight, Father, for the presence of Jesus in the lives and hearts of any who will simply receive. Help us always to rejoice in this truth. Make it real to us, Father. Help us to pursue him, certainly, but Father, help us to be grateful for his presence and the ease that that presence might be received by any who will receive. We praise you for the grace that's found in Jesus, and it's in his name that we ask these things, that you bless our lesson tonight and our presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we began a new study on Wednesday. If you were here on Wednesday, you are familiar with that. We began talking about Galatians and Paul's dealings with those Galatian saints. And Well, I mentioned the fact uh, on Wednesday, I mentioned the fact that people might find the Lord and start off well, be on fire for the Lord, and be actually making some good steps and then fall away from the truth. It's just the nature of... Humankind in the nature of mankind, when they don't yield and submit themselves to the Lord, they fall away. Uh, we'll find that the Galatians do that or have done that, and that's what Paul is dealing with. As we go through Scripture, we mention a number of times, many, many times, how Israel, the Israelites, were rather renowned for being faithful and then falling away uh, for whatever reason in, in being bumped off track, so to speak. A number of the individuals we see, I could name a number of them, Solomon. Um, I mean, David had his moment, certainly, and a number of other ones who, well, fell away, fell away from from the truth. David certainly was restored and, and recognized his issue. Solomon fell away and remained there for, for in his into his age and so many, in his old age and so many others. Uh, falling away. It's just a troubling thing. And so it is that we see in our present day, in this age, that those ones, those children of God that perhaps are dear to us, near to us, or not near or dear, uh, it doesn't take a whole lot sometimes for them to fall away. And it seems like that has been the subject of a number of different conversations I've had with a number of different people recently, is that they'll make the statement to me, it is unfortunate, and someone even recently said, I don't want to sound pessimistic, but barring a miracle from the Lord, well, the spiritual situation of this person or that individual or these individuals seems rather bleak. And as I often respond to those ones when they make those similar statements, uh, it's not pessimistic to be realistic. I mean, if left to the devices of the flesh, things will be bleak. But we are not left to the devices of the flesh. We understand if we seek the Lord, if we follow after the Lord, we look into His Word, we listen to the Spirit as the Spirit moves and all of those sorts of things. But outside of that, if we push those things aside, you can be a person of, of well, the household of faith and having believed and still push those things aside and left to your own devices and your flesh. It's not cynical to understand that, well, that the future is a bleak one when you push the Lord aside. And it is heartbreaking. It is. It is troubling when people forego the abundance that he has for them. 
There's no getting around it. I'm compelled to pray for all of you here and those ones that are dear to me elsewhere and other ones that they would lay hold of the things that the Lord has for them, the fullness that the Lord Jesus offers to to different ones. And it is heartbreaking at times when they're diverted from that and they chase after something else. Uh, We oftentimes quote Isaiah and Revelation where it speaks of the Lord wiping away the tears. I believe that he says that because I believe there will be tears that will need to be wiped away. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says God's people will stand before his judgment seat that we just read about in 2 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 3, he speaks about the works that will be considered there before the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.12, where Paul speaks of the foundation that he established, that he laid in presenting the grace message, and that those ones who would receive would have Jesus as a foundation for their for their hearts. And if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, that's a good thing. It's an eternal thing, a permanent thing, a blessed thing. That's good. But hay, straw, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, He will receive a reward again. That's a blessing. That's a good thing. But, verse 15 says, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. And suffering loss, well, I believe that'll draw tears. That'll prompt regret. It'll prompt a measure of shame before the Lord, lasting however long the Lord determines for it to, before he wipes those tears away. Now, that consideration since my youth has always brought a measure of dread from me. Uh... You know, I've always, and I've shared this envisioning uh, with you, a big, huge screen behind me saying, this is your life for any and all to watch my errors and my idiocy and my stupidity and all those things. Since the time that I was young and could remember, that was something that scared, (laughs) scared me to death, that any would be watching that. Certainly my focus now as I get older and consider what it is, my focus is Jesus. And it's not going to be a big screen. It's something between himself and me. Whomever else might be watching, I don't know. But between himself and me, my focus is on him and what he considers. And I start considering that now. Start thinking now uh, what I'm building, what I'm building with, what construction materials, what my failures might be. Even now that I might avoid the idiocy and avoid the hang-ups that would bring shame before him later. Uh, It's like when you're a kid. You know, maybe your mom would say it, or depending on your situation, maybe your dad would say, wait till your mother gets home. I don't know what the situation was, but there was a reason for that. It was supposed to instill a little bit of dread in you. Wait, wait, you know, even if that wasn't the case, we were latchkey kids. We stayed at home, and Missy didn't have any problems oftentimes saying, I'm going to tell. Janelle would tell me, I'm going to tell, and there was a measure of dread. I might put on some bravado, and I might act whatever. There was dread there because I knew mom and or dad were going to be home. And it was supposed to dissuade us from doing those things that we knew were wrong. There's a facing of the music that is going to come for God's people. Going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We must all appear, we read in verse 10, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. There are repercussions for poor choices. And unfortunately, uh, poor choices will be made. Now, uh, that's why Paul behaved as he did, quote-unquote, and he preached to others to do so. Uh, In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 9, what did he say? Therefore, because of this, to avoid that 
which we dread, to avoid that issue and standing, that, that shame as we stand before the Lord. And he presents to us what our, what our works were. Therefore we make it our aim now, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. To do those things that he guides us in, leads us in. And then stepping down to verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. And, and well, his uh, wrath, I guess. His correction. His fearfulness. His power. His strength. His righteousness. And his demanding that those who come before him be holy themselves. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And we encourage them to be well-pleasing to God as well. Yet there be minimal wood hay and stubble and straw when they stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That there be minimal shame, that there be minimal tears, that there be minimal, well, issues and regret when the day declares it. What a joy it would be if all of God's children would lay hold of everything that the Lord Jesus has for them, of all the abundance that he has offered to them. It would be a joy. But they haven't and they won't. We understand this. That's not cynicism. That's just truth. But that being said, that being said, let's not always be sure to call an utter failure what isn't an utter failure. Let's not look at something and say, well, it's a complete loss when it's not a complete loss. Now, I want to be careful when I make these statements as well. You know, I don't always want to be the bearer of bad tidings or or the one that just brings the fire and brimstone regrets and punishments and that sort of thing. Uh, that's not how the Lord would have us to be. Uh, I'll point you to Jonah. Jonah, just briefly. I'm watching the clock there. Jonah, if you'll recall, if you turn to Jonah chapter 4, he is rather renowned for having balked when the Lord said, Go to Nineveh. Speak to Nineveh. Preach to them and tell them that my judgment is coming. He said, No, I don't want to do this because... Well, they're exceptionally sinful, they're exceptionally carnal, they're exceptionally uh, unmerciful on God's people and all of their enemies. He didn't have any interest in that, and he also knew that the Lord was exceptionally merciful. So he went the opposite direction, or nearly entirely 180 degrees from the direction that the Lord had sent him. Uh, He understood what the tendency would be, and what Nineveh would likely be some 100 years later when they were... Well, still carnal, still sinful, still exceptionally cruel and merciless to God's people and others. So he chose not to speak them. And in Jonah chapter 4 and verse 7, after he saw the error of his ways and he obeyed God and he went to Nineveh and he did preach to them, he did share with them the reality of judgment to come, they listened. He caused it to be proclaimed, that is the king of Nineveh, caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying this, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Don't eat. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent? And turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Saints, what is that that took place there in Nineveh? Well, it was a blessing, number one. And it was that miraculous work that takes place when a heart is yielded to the Lord. Here's the, perhaps they respond to that fearfulness, that fearsome God that is presenting righteousness in their dire situation. Regardless, it was something that Jonah was not going to see if he hadn't obeyed the Lord. If he would have just said, it's an utter loss, it's a complete loss, they're not worthy, they're not worth it, 
push it aside. No, no, uh, he went and he spoke. And this is what was said. And then God saw their works in verse 10, that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. Jonah was right in being dubious. Don't get me wrong. He was right in being dubious about Nineveh and and their repentance and their value before anybody, but even before God. He was right in saying, well, this, they're not, they're not good people. They won't be good people. They've never been good people. He was right in making those statements, but that speaks of all of us, isn't it? It speaks of all of us. We're not good people outside of the Lord and what he does in us. He couldn't bring himself in that moment, we understand. Even after that great moment of blessing, even then he couldn't bring himself to take joy in the repentance that took place in the hearts there in Nineveh. Because, well, he recognized and he said, it's a failure. (laughs) These ones, uh, I'm upset with this. I'm unhappy with this and the mercy that was presented there. It's a loss. Do you know who these people are going to be? Do you know who they've always been? Now, there's no question there are times when we look at a child of God and we say, they're throwing their lives away and they haven't taken everything that the Lord offers them. You know, At least they're saved. At least they're saved, we've said. And it's right to have that disappointment. There's no question. To look at someone who is failing and not walking after the Lord and not receiving His abundance... There is some justification in, in being disappointed in saying they're not laying hold of everything that God has. I hope that that's been understood as being a hallmark of my ministry is that we must lay hold. There must be an urgency to lay hold of everything that Jesus has offered and everything that the Lord has offered us in Jesus. I hope that that's been understood. And so there is right to be disappointed when God's people haven't done that. Yes, we want loss that is suffered to be minimal. When they stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Absolutely we want for them to lay hold of everything. But saints we can. When it comes down to it. We can rejoice in the at least portion of that statement. At least they're standing before the judgment seat of Christ. Not the great white throne judgment. But standing before the judgment seat of Christ. Looking at their works. Not having satisfied certainly. Those things that would bring them more into the image of Jesus. Not having satisfied those things that would give them deeper understanding of who He is. Not having satisfied those well, those steps that the Lord would have guided them through and empowered them for. Certainly, they didn't lay hold of those things, but He Himself will be saved nevertheless. Not having satisfied, not having laid hold, not having done any of those things, at least they will be standing before the judgment seat of Christ. I'm grateful for that truth. That's not me settling for them while there's time and while there's opportunity. I will pray and pray and pray and preach and preach and preach as will you and testify and witness and witness and testify. All of these things, hoping that they will lay hold of everything that the Lord has for them. But at least... At least they will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. At least that innumerable multitude will be innumerable. There's a blessing in that. No, I, want, I don't want the vast majority to be just the multitude that stands out before. I want, I want the well, those that are nearest and dearest to the Lord, closest to Him. I want that crowd to be larger and larger and innumerable in and of itself. 
But I'm grateful that there will be a multitude. There will be an innumerable amount of people that at least accepted Christ, at least have entered into heaven, at least will have eternity with him and not be at eternal loss. I'm grateful for the at least that we can find in the salvation that is offered to us by the Lord Jesus. And I take joy in that for those ones, even when they don't lay hold of everything. At least they are his brethren. And I'm grateful for that.